on this episode of Backstories. You want to know what you can and cannot do on Facebook? Check out Emily Post Emily Institute. Post. That's about the time that Gilded Age started. It's still very trendy in the high society. Carnegie Hall was actually built because the old money in America wouldn't allow them to come to their Oprah house. Yeah. 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 I mean, who has time to think of these rules? Or he created James Bond, Tomorrow Never Dies with Pierce Brosnan. Welcome to episode three of Backstories, the podcast where we talk about the creative process of authors and other creative people. Today, I am with Nicole from the Trafalgar branch. Hello, Lisa. And Hi. And we are going to talk today about Emily Post, Etiquette, Downton Abbey, and Julian Fellows. And it all ties together in some way, I promise. Let's see. <laughs> Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about Emily Post. She was born Emily Bruce Price in Baltimore, Maryland, possibly in October 1872, though the precise date is unknown. Her father was an architect famed for designing luxury communities. Her mother, Josephine Lee Price of Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania, was the daughter of a wealthy coal baron. After being educated at home in her early years, Price attended Miss Graham's Finishing School in New York after her family moved there. In 2008, Laura Claridge wrote a biography of Emily Post, and in her review of it, Danita Smith of the New York Times described Emily this way. Emily was tall, pretty, and spoiled. She grew up in a world of grand estates. Her life governed by carefully delineated rituals like the cotillion with its complex forms and its dances. The fan, the ladies mocked, Mother Goose, called out in dizzying turns by the dance master. Price met her future husband, Edwin Main Post, a prominent banker at a ball in a Fifth Avenue mansion. They got married in 1892 and honeymooned throughout Europe. They lived in New York's Washington Square. They also had a country cottage named Emily Post Cottage in Tuxedo Park, which was one of four Bruce Price cottages she inherited from her father. And then the couple moved to Staten Island and had two sons, Edwin Main Post Jr. and Bruce Bryce Post. Emily and Edwin divorced in 1905 because of his affairs with chorus girls and fledgling actresses, which made him a target of blackmail. Emily then went on to write a bunch of books. She's most notably known for her etiquette book. She tries very hard to immigrants and the newly rich and people who are eager to fit in with the establishment fit in and know all the rules. Arthur M. Schlesinger, who wrote Learning How to Behave, a Historical Study of American Etiquette Books in 1946, said that etiquette books were part of the leveling up process of democracy, an attempt to resolve the conflict between the democratic ideal and the reality of class. But post-etiquette books went far beyond those of her predecessors. They read like short story collections with recurring characters, the top lofties, the eminents, the rich and vulgars, the gildings, and the kind hearts. In 1946, Post founded the Emily Post Institute, which continues her work. So I was going to talk a little bit about the Institute. There have been several editions of the Emily Post etiquette book. I think the most recent is the 18th, which is what we have on the shelf here at JCPL. It covers everything from weddings to social media to just basic digital presence. The Emily Post Institute, it's been, it's a five generation business. The family business maintains and evolves the standards of etiquette that Emily Post established with her seminal book, Etiquette, in 1922. According to the Post, though times have changed, the principles of good manners remain constant. And above all, manners are sensitive awareness of the feelings of others. The definition of etiquette according to the Institute is the philosophy of etiquette is timeless and everlasting, whereas manners, the outward expression of the underlying principles of etiquette, 
are ever-changing. Manners, by their very nature, adapt to the times. While today's manners are often situational, tailored to the particular circumstances and the expectations of those around us, they remain a combination of common sense, generosity of spirit, and a few specific guidelines or fluid rules that help us interact thoughtfully. And as fluid as manners are, they all rest on the same fundamental principles of etiquette, consideration, respect, and honesty. Emily Post is quoted as saying in her first edition, consideration for the rights and feelings of others is not merely a rule for behavior in public, but the very foundation upon which social life is built. Comment is demonstrated by actions, appearance, and words that honor and value others regardless of their background, race, or creed. It's demonstrated in all your day-to-day relations, refraining from demeaning others for their ideas and opinions, refusing to laugh at inappropriate jokes, putting prejudices aside, and staying open-minded. Good manners reflect something from the inside, an innate sense of consideration for others and respect for self, according to Emily. Honesty, acting sincerely and being truthful. Honesty compels us to choose to act with integrity in ways that honor and respect others. It eschews the white lie which denies both consideration and respect. She has a very high standard for etiquette. I'm interested in how that has changed over the years. So the book we have, I've seen it. It's a humongous, I mean. Yes, it's sitting on my desk right now. It is very, very big. You cannot read that in bed because you would just break your nose if that falls on your head. But (laughs) I wonder when it mentions it now has etiquette about social media, how that relates to how it you know because obviously she didn't have social media in the 1900s so her great granddaughter lizzie post is currently head of the emily post institute oh, okay there's also another younger member whose name i forget it's a guy so they have worked to update these etiquette rules for the modern day to make it fit yes so the institute also has a whole website and a podcast, so you can go in and get the most up-to-date information. Oh. Or if you would like training, they also offer sessions online and possibly in person, I don't know with COVID, where you can learn all about the ways to be proper in today's society. That's interesting. Well, my guess is a lot of people aren't really paying attention to this in the times I've been on social media. Oh, I'm sure they're not. <laughs> I feel like Emily Post is one of those names that you read and you're just like, oh, she's old and stodgy and stuffy and you know those rules don't, you know, those rules don't apply to me, but actually they do. Well, normal common manners have never went out of style. Yeah. You still have to have them to talk to people in business, in normal conversation. You have to have manners. Sadly, that does not get passed on in generations as it has before. And people make excuses and say, oh, well, that's just old fashioned. We don't need to do that anymore. But you do have to know when you go to a dinner to chew with your mouth closed or you know common things you go to a restaurant and you don't and i bet you're all up to date on wedding etiquette as well well i'm learning <laughs> learning but uh that's a whole nother story <laughs> yes not for you as the mother of the bride of course <laughs> so there are also two other parts to this that they consider etiquette which is graciousness and kindness which i think should just be standard but apparently you have to tell people this well, especially if it comes to social media, that graciousness and kindness yeah. is kind of forgotten because people feel they can just type whatever they want on those social media platforms that they probably would not tell somebody to their face. But Exactly. So, yeah, if you want the most up-to-date, if you want to know what you can and cannot do on Facebook, check out Emily Post Emily Institute. Post. I would have not put those two together. But it was interesting to me that she started her book in 1870, 
is that about right? So she was born in 1870. Okay. The book came out in 1922, the first edition. Okay, that's about the time that Gilded Age started, especially in what, New York. What is Gilded so Age? The Gilded Age is the time period between 19 uh, between 1880 and 1920, where the new money was coming into America. So the old established families that all had ancestors from the Mayflower, they were already there. They knew the etiquette. They used more the etiquette they learned from coming over. The British was passed on, you know, what you see in older movies. Yes. But um, with the new money and the new families, m different standards were coming in. So they would change some yes. of the things, of the etiquettes that were already established. Right, yeah. I can see where you would need to know as you're moving up the social ladder like how to behave properly, quote unquote, with your new station in life. Yes. And I have actually read another book, the name of which I've long forgotten, where they talk about the history of the debutante balls and how that goes back to British royalty and the aristocracy of continental Europe. Yes. And that kind of takes place in the same time period. Yes. So the debutante balls, I mean, they established in, in uh, Russian, Austrian, when the Tsars and the emperors in Europe were reigning. I mean, that's when the ladies were brought into the castles and get the young girls were introduced. That's what the debutante stands for. Yes. And they still have those. I was lucky to tent one. And, you know, they have the white dresses, they have their, their escorts, and they have that in America, too, in some of the wealthy areas yes, I know. with the clubs. Like South Carolina, that area. A lot of southern parts still southern. do it, but even uh, on the east coast, it's yes. it's still very trendy in the high society. Yes, I. this book that I read that I wish I knew the name of um, talked about some of the modern ones, and the cost of these things is just outrageous. It's it's more than I plan to make in a lifetime, to be oh, honest. Yeah, I think oh. it, out, it outruns weddings, uh, <laughs> yeah. that book tier, yeah. 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 So do you want to talk a little bit about how etiquette plays out in the Gilded Age and other time periods? Etiquette is actually, I mean, that's still the thing. It doesn't matter. Like you said, if you want to get in a higher establishment or a higher business, you need to have different etiquette. It's just like you teach your children not to eat with their fingers because you want them eventually know how to eat with a fork and with a spoon. So you start that slowly. And if you want to fit into a different crowd, you know, you go to college, you, you get established, you start a business or you want to, you need to hit those higher investors. You need to know how you behave around them. You need to know which fork you have to use if you go to a big fancy dinner or what clothes you have to wear. And back during the Gilded Age or even before that time, it was just way more strict. I mean, it would happen that they had to change your outfits five times a day because on based on what they're doing. You could not show up with a certain dress that you wore for breakfast and then you wore that for lunch. I mean, everything has to fit together. And that's, that's what she probably was trying to teach the ones that were working their way up. Because especially during that time period in America, a lot of people that came over from Europe that started a business or found gold and then all of a sudden they had all this wealth or they've made money with the railroad, they wanted to get into that crowd to be the yes. investors, to get in there. But they couldn't because they weren't, they were the new money, the new right. rich people. They that, weren't the Vanderbilts and the... They were the Vanderbilts. Actually, oh, actually, the were Vanderbilts okay. were new money. The Vanderbilts and the Carnegie. Carnegie. And, uh, actually, Huge supporter fact, of the library, by the way. Which uh, they built their own library. I don't know if you know that. Carnegie Hall was actually built because the old money 
and America wouldn't allow them to come to their Oprah house. So Vanderbilt, Carnegie, and I can't think of the other one, they said, well, if we don't get to go there, we build our own, and they build a massive way bigger, which is now Carnegie Hall. I guess that's one way around the rules. Yes. Yeah. So if you have the money and they don't let you in, then you just create your own clubs so and your own rules. in your own and corner, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it just comes all down to money. Yeah. So I uh, heard that you prepared today to talk about uh, Downton Abbey and their portrayals of etiquette. Well, and Julian Fellows. Julian Fellows in general. So Julian yeah. Fellows, I don't know if you know, uh, who, who, uh, a lot of people don't know that. He's the creator of most historical time period pieces. If you've ever watched anything that has to do with England and historical time period, Julian Fellows had his fingers in it. He is an English aristocrat. He's actually a member of the House of Lords. He was born in Cairo. His dad was a diplomat and a rabbist, which is a person that studies in the culture of Arabian countries. Did not know and that word. You did not. Yeah, I had to look it up too. I okay. thought it was misspelled, <laughs> but it's actually a thing. Okay. So, yeah, if you're in the studies of the Arabian culture, you're an Arabist. Yeah, so Julian Fellows has created tons of, of movies. He also wrote a lot of books. He uh, especially wrote about all the different timepieces. Just to mention a couple, He in the 90s he did uh, Shadowland with Anthony Hopkins and Debbie Winger. It's a movie now. It's about the life of C.S. Lewis. Okay. Yeah, so he- We know C.S. Lewis. I bet you do. Yeah. He created Gosford Park, where he got an Oscar for screenwriting for. He was in, or he created James Bond, Tomorrow Never Dies with Pierce Brosnan, which is not really a timepiece, but you know, he dabbles a little it's bit It's a classic. Everything. That's right. Yeah. Vanity Fair, The Young Victoria with Emily Blunt. Oh, yeah. Julian Fellows had his fingers in there. I think, though, he also took some of the not-so-popular ones and stole some of their their ideas. So oh, no. there is another historical timepiece which was created by two actresses, uh, Jane Marsh and Eileen Atkins, who's probably more known for her acting than Jean Marsh. Those two created a, a TV show back in the 70s called Upstairs and Downstairs, which okay, was a heard huge of hit back in the day. And it was telling the stories of the staff that lived downstairs and the family that lived upstairs and how that combined. Well, I think Julian Fellows kind of took that idea and put that into Downton Abbey because it's just very similar. A lot of storylines, the daughter running off with the chauffeur. Duke in the spirit of in. libraries, can we say that he borrowed it? He sure did. Okay. He sure did. <laughs> but he has admitted that he did borrow some of the ideas yeah. and they're fine with that they have talked about that together well, that's so, good so it's just uh, very interesting and he uh, has now a new series that's on hbo called the gilded age mm -hmm. where he brings up that is his first show that actually plays in the united states all of his other movies historically normally play in england okay but this is the first one that plays in the united states and he wants to show between the new money and the old money and how that clashed and how that collapsed and yes. how the etiquette is presented where the old money is very much British Aristotle using etiquette like they did in yeah. England following the, the very house. Very much you're not allowed in my opera house. That's right, yeah. I just built my own. I mean, there is, a, there is a part, third episode of the first season where the butler from the new money visits the butler from the old money and they're looking through the house and he sees how the table is set. And just for example, the glasses are not set the same way. So there is a difference between American etiquette and, and just table placement 
than there is in, in European settings. Their forks don't always start from the outside in. Their glasses are set in a square instead of a line. I mean, who has time to think of these rules? Well, that's right. Why you have to read Emily Post's I guess. book and learn all about have to which chance glass it, you have to use what and what to, they look like. I'll have to take a chance on maybe breaking my nose. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. So do you know of any egregious etiquette breaking in Gilded Age other than the glasses are in a line and not a square? Well, so far, uh, no, that's basically it. Well, you know, you're also just this was also in Downton Abbey or in a lot of the other ones. You're as a woman were not allowed to go somewhere by yourself. You always had to have a chaperone. You couldn't leave anywhere. You couldn't even leave the ballroom to go to the, the kitchen or the garden without having a chaperone and there's a lot of other movies that highlight that if you look at the right. series Bridgerton oh yeah that she, one I did watch yes yeah. she walked into the garden by herself and then got you know cornered by a man and then it all led to a duel it did and she had to end up marrying the guy so yes. just because they were seen together in the garden those kind of etiquettes I'm glad I'm sure they have changed so women can go somewhere on their own and do not have to have a chaperone everywhere right but I was gonna say if you ask my mother that. she needs to know where I'm going <laughs> and who I'm with no she's not that bad oh, my my daughters even though they're both adults they still have to send texts and say I made it or I didn't I'm probably yes. I probably got one right now I have one friend that if I take the long way home from her house and I'm not, I'm not home within five minutes. She's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I stopped for gas. Like, give me a minute to like. Oh, yeah. But I appreciate it, you know. That's right. Well, you never so it is, know. It's like a chaperone. All the, sing, all the single women have to watch out for each other. Yes. Well, there was rules for men, too. It wasn't just women. Yeah. So, you know, they couldn't take a woman or, or ask them to go somewhere with them. You know, they, they had to wear the right clothes for the right events and had to be polite and use their manners and you know n nowadays you see some of these young men and you wonder where they got their clothes from if they just fell out of bed or you know <laughs> yes well you know I have a strict no pajama pants in public rule myself I agree with that I looked up some etiquette too and I thought it was very interesting it didn't matter how well dressed they were one of the biggest etiquette rule was cleanliness and very particular about the smells. So a man, for example, yes. had to be clean, even under their, it's, it's, it's listed very highly, even under their fingernails, everything had to be clean, wow. but they weren't allowed to smell too strong. If they were used too much perfume, that wasn't right either. So they still, you know, you had to be clean, <laughs> but you couldn't cover up with something. They you wanted couldn't. you actually clean, not just yes. hiding that you yes. rolled out of bed. That's right. Right. Which, you know, luckily, leads to great scenes like in Pride and Prejudice where Colin Firth has to take a bath and we get witness of it while we watch these wonderful movies. Oh, okay. I have not seen that. So Maybe you uh, need to that up. Might be worth it. Well, yeah. it's all PG. Okay, good to know. I've only ever read like the Amish version of Pride and Prejudice. So, I mean, <laughs> well, I never. don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm sure has different etiquette rules completely. So that was last year. You, that, did, you did a series on We did. Right? We did. And we talked about, um, Amy and I talked about Amish fairy tales. But if you know Alyssa, you know it doesn't matter. You can't have a conversation without the Amish coming. There's there always some way you can tie that in. Of course. You know, they have their own etiquette. That sounds like a lot of rules to remember. And I'm really glad yeah. we don't have to do that today. And that 
daily bathing is now the normal. Is it? <laughs> is it? Okay, it is for me. Yes, and I, I, like we talked already earlier, it is important for our future generation to know manners, yes. or they're not going to make it. I mean, just being able to go to school, or you have to have certain manners, certain ways, you know. You can't have a conversation with your teacher or your fellow students if you can't respect yes. that. Yeah, and you got to know the difference between uh, business casual and business and formal and, yeah, and all yeah. the stuff that you, you know, dress codes and, and all well, the things and, you and just those know. those have changed just within the five, ten years. I oh, mean, yeah. if you look at, like, just for example, church etiquette or even... Um, you I go to a, an opera or you go to a theater. I mean, I remember we would go to the, the opera house and we would wear long evening gowns. Now, if you go, we just went a couple of years ago, my hometown, we have a big theater. We went and saw a show and nobody was wearing, I mean, women, men, they wore jeans and maybe a nice shirt and a jacket for, for a generation of like my mother she was very appalled that people don't even dress up for that anymore. That yes. used to be fun. I'm know? really calling out my millennial status here, but my <laughs> idea of fancy dress is skinny jeans. So, yep, no. <laughs> you know, like aside from like <laughs> weddings and funerals where I might wear a dress, you're going to get skinny jeans. Well, you know, jeans were actually created for for the workers to have tough clothing. There is a good story about that, too. That's how Levi Strauss. Yep created the jeans because he had somebody approach him and said the women said we need to find something that's thicker material that we can actually have our men wear because everything rips all the time and that's how he created the first got better things to do and that's to... what jeans were for they weren't to go to the nice places or you know but nowadays well, third backstory. <laughs> they have also <laughs> climbed the social ladder they have yeah. well there is some very nice jeans nowadays there are they're not yes. all the holy ones no nope. yes know i learned so much talking to you I mean, on the next episode of backstory we're getting <laughs> i appreciate you coming on the podcast you're welcome thanks for i know me. i had to really twist your arm to get the story out of you that is it for episode three i am still working on figuring out exactly what we're going to do but stay tuned i'm sure it will be great backstories is a production of indiana's johnson county public library